mutually assured destruction is a doctrine of military strategy and national security policy where a full-scale use of nuclear weapons by two or more opposing sides would result in the complete annihilation of both the attacker and the defender side. Mutually Assured Destruction, MAD, MAD. It is based on the theory of deterrence, which assumes that the threat of using strong weaponry against the enemy prevents the enemy's use of those same weapons against you. The strategy is a form of equilibrium, where once harmed, neither side has any incentive to initiate a conflict or to disarm. A nuclear holocaust is a theoretical scenario where the mass detonation of nuclear weapons causes globally widespread destruction and a radioactive fallout. This scenario envisages large parts of the Earth becoming completely uninhabitable due to the effects of nuclear warfare, potentially causing the collapse of civilization as you know it, extinction of humanity, and in the worst-case scenario, termination of life on Earth itself. Besides the immediate destruction of cities by nuclear blasts, the potential aftermath of a nuclear war could involve firestorms, a nuclear winter, widespread radiation, sickness from fallout, and the temporary, if not permanent, loss of much modern technology due to electromagnetic pulses. Stuff end-of-the-world movies are made of. Under MAD, each side has enough nuclear weaponry to destroy the other side. Either side, if attacked for any reason by the other, could retaliate and would retaliate with equal or greater force. The expected result is an immediate, irreversible escalation of hostilities resulting in both combatants' mutual, total, and assured destruction. This doctrine further assumes that neither side will dare to launch a first strike because the other side would launch on warning or with surviving forces, i.e. a second strike, resulting in completely unacceptable losses for both parties. The main pro, if you can call it that, of the MAD doctrine was and still is expected to be a tense but reasonably stable global peace. However, many have even argued that mutually assured destruction is unable to deter conventional war that could later escalate into a nuclear war. In August 1945, United States became the first nuclear power after the nuclear attacks on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Four years later, on the 29th of August 1949, the Soviet Union detonated its own nuclear device. At the time, both sides lacked the means to effectively use nuclear devices against each other. However, with the development of the American B-36 and the Soviet Tu-95, both sides were gaining a greater ability to deliver nuclear weapons into the interior of the opposing country. A nuclear triad is a three-pronged military force structure consisting of land-launched nuclear missiles, nuclear missile-armed submarines, and strategic aircraft with nuclear bombs and missiles. Specifically, 
These components are land-based intercontinental ballistic missiles, ICBMs, submarine-launched ballistic missiles, SLBMs, and strategic bombers. The aim of having this three-branched nuclear capability is to significantly reduce the likelihood that an enemy could destroy all of a nation's nuclear forces in a first-strike attack. This, in turn, poses a credible threat of a second strike, thereby increasing the nuclear deterrence of a country. What is known as the nuclear triad gives countries a way to deliver a nuclear attack by land, sea, or air. Most nuclear powers do not have the military budget to sustain a full triad. Only the United States and Russia have maintained long nuclear triads for most of the nuclear era. There are other countries that have triad powers, though. China, India, and France come to mind. These triads, however, include the following components. Bomber aircraft, land-based missiles, ballistic missile submarines. So bomber aircraft are aircraft carrying nuclear bombs or nuclear-armed cruise missiles for use against ground or sea targets. Land-based missiles, i.e. medium-range ballistic missiles or intercontinental ballistic missiles, are delivery vehicles powered by a liquid or solid-fueled rocket that primarily travel in a ballistic, i.e. freefall, trajectory. Ballistic missile submarines are nuclear missiles launched from ships or submarines. They are classified under an umbrella of vessels and submarines that can launch ballistic missiles. There were and are some flaws in the MAD plan. It, like so many other theories, was never, shall we say, foolproof. A first strike must not be capable of preventing a retaliatory second strike, or else mutual destruction is not assured. That's a flaw. Another flaw. No false positives, i.e. errors, in the equipment and or procedures that must, that must identify a launch by the other side. The implication of this is that accident could lead to a full nuclear exchange. Another one. Imperfect attribution. If there is a launch from, say, the Sino-Russian border, it could be difficult to distinguish which nation is responsible. Both Russia and China have the capability, and hence, against which nation a U.S. retaliation could take place. A launch from a nuclear-armed submarine could also be difficult to attribute to the country that could have launched a nuclear weapon. Another assumption of MAD theory is that you're not going to see rogue commanders who have the ability to corrupt decision-making. Then, all leaders with launch capability should actually care about the survival of their subjects. Another flaw in the plan, no fallout shelters, networks of sufficient capacity to protect large segments of the population and or industry should exist. If they do, it's a flaw in the plan. It's not mutually assured destruction. There should be no development of anti-missile technology or deployment of protective gear. Again, another flaw in the plan. And Star Wars was that flaw. And then there's the inability to respond to the perfect proliferation of space weaponry. Just assume that if there's weapons to protect you from space, again, a flaw. And finally, Cold War bipolarity is no longer applicable today. Which means, like in the past, there were just two powers with nukes. Now, well, there are at least five.
But what interests me more than these things about MAD are those nuclear near misses. Yes, the nuclear near misses. That would be those events in history that would have prevented the end of not just the USSR and USA, but saved the rest of us from the remaining fallout. In other words, nuclear near misses. Here's a few examples. Here's one. There was bad information during the 1956 Suez Crisis. While British and French forces attacked Egypt, the USSR warned that they were considering non-nuclear attacks on London and Paris to bring a stop to the fighting. On the night of the 5th of November 1956, NORAD of the US received alerts that unidentified aircraft were flying over Turkey, 100 Soviet MiGs were flying over Syria, a British bomber had been brought down over Syria, and a Soviet fleet was on the move in Turkey. Thinking that these events were a Soviet offensive, the US worried a NATO nuclear strike against Russia could soon follow. It turned out, each of these perceived attacks was actually swans flying over Turkey. Yes, swans flying over Turkey. An Air Force escort for the Syrian president, a bomber brought down due to mechanical issues, and scheduled routine exercises of the Soviet fleet. Bad information, it seems, is not uncommon, and it's easy to misinterpret. Thank goodness the Americans didn't do a first nuclear strike. Here's another one. A radar alert from Thule over in Greenland was sent to the U.S. NORAD agency, announcing the detection of dozens of Soviet missiles launched towards the United States. NORAD went into high alert, but leaders suspected something was amiss, given that the Soviet leader himself was, was visiting the U.S. during the supposed attack. It turns out that radar had misinterpreted a moonrise over Norway. Yes, a moonrise over Norway. Here's another one. Hydrogen bombs were dropped on the U.S. state of North Carolina in the U.S. in January of 1961. That's right. A bomber was flying over the state of North Carolina when it lost a wing and two of its nuclear bombs fell to the ground in the town of Goldsboro. One of the bombs broke on impact after its parachute failed. The other landed unharmed, but five of its six safety devices also failed. The defense secretary at the time, a chap called Robert McNamara, had this to say. By the slightest margin of chance, literally the failure of two wires to cross a nuclear explosion was averted. If this hydrogen bomb had detonated, could it have been misinterpreted as Soviet foul play? We don't know, and thankfully, we don't need to. Here's one from the 25th of October, 1962, from during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yes, during it, in Duluth, in the U.S. At around midnight on the 25th of October, a guard at the Duluth Sector Direction Center saw a figure climbing the security fence. He shot at it and activated the sabotage alarm. This automatically set off sabotage alarms and all bases in the area. At Volk Field in the U.S. state of Wisconsin, the alarm was wrongly wired and the clack-on sound which ordered nuclear-armed F-106A interceptors to take off. The pilots knew there would be no practice alert drills 
while DEFCON 3 was in force, DEFCON 3 being Cuban Missile Crisis. And they believed, essentially, that World War 3 had started. Immediate communication with Duluth showed that there was actually an error. By this time, aircraft were starting down the runway, a car raced from command center and successfully signaled the aircraft to stop. The original intruder was a bear. Then there's this from the 26th of October, 1962, also during the Cuban Missile Crisis in Malstom Air Base in the US. Once DEFCON 2 had been declared because of the Cuban Missile Crisis on the 24th of October, Solid fuel Minuteman 1 missiles at the Maelstrom Air Base were being prepared for full deployment. The work was accelerated to ready the missiles for operation without waiting for the normal handover procedures and safety checks. When one silo and missile were ready on the 26th of October, no armed guards were available to cover transport from the normal separate storage, so the launch-enabling equipment and codes were all placed in silo. It was thus physically physically possible for a single operator to launch a fully armed missile at a SIOP target. During the remaining period of the crisis, the several missiles at Maelstrom were repeatedly put on and off alert as errors and defects were found and corrected. Fortunately, no combination of errors caused or threatened an unauthorized launch, but in the extreme tension of the period, the danger can be well imagined. Again, during the Cuban Missile Crisis on the 24th of October 1962, a Soviet satellite exploded. On the 24th of October, that Soviet satellite entered its own parking orbit and shortly afterwards exploded. Sir Bernard Lovell, director of the Jordal Bank Observatory, wrote in 1968 that the explosion of that Russian spacecraft in orbit during the Cuban Missile Crisis led the U.S. to believe that the USSR was launching a massive ICBM attack. The NORAD command post logs of the dates in question remain classified, possibly to conceal reaction to the event. Its occurrence is recorded and the U.S. space tracking stations were informed on the 31st of October of debris resulting from the breakup of that satellite. In August to October 1962, American U-2 flights went into Soviet airspace. U-2 high-altitude reconnaissance flights from Alaska occasionally strayed unintentionally into Soviet airspace. One such episode occurred in August 1962, again during the Cuban Missile Crisis. The U-2 pilots were ordered not to fly within 100 miles of Soviet airspace. However, on the night of the 26th of October, for a reason irrelevant to that crisis, a U-2 pilot was ordered to fly in route over the North Pole, where positional checks on navigation were by sextant only. That night, the Aurora prevented good sextant readings and the plane strayed over the Chutovsky Peninsula. Soviet MiG interceptors took off with orders to shoot down the American plane. The pilots contacted his U.S. command post and was ordered to fly due east towards the U.S. He ran out of fuel while still over Siberia. In response to his SOS, U.S. F-102A fighters were launched to escort him or on his glide back to Alaska. With orders to prevent the MiGs from entering the U.S. airspace, U.S. interceptor aircraft were armed with nuclear missiles. These could have been used by any one of the F-102A pilots at his own discretion. 
just when you wouldn't think that another mishap could have happened during the Cuban Missile Crisis, there was one in October 1962, to be precise, when the USSAC went to DEFCON 2 on the 24th of October. Bomber Command in the UK was carrying out an unrelated readiness exercise. On the 26th of October, Air Marshal Cross, CINC of Bomber Command, decided to prolong the exercise because of the Cuban Missile Crisis itself and later increased the alert stages of British nuclear forces so they could launch within 15 minutes. It seems highly likely that Soviet intelligence agencies would perceive these moves as part of a coordinated plan in preparation for immediate war. They could not have been expected to know that neither the Minister of Defence nor Prime Minister Harold Billen had authorised them. Here's another one. May the 23rd, 1967. Confusing solar flares and nuclear attacks. The Air Force in the US had a series of radar stations around the world that were supposed to provide early warning detection of a Soviet nuclear attack. On this particular night, many of these installations went dark and the military feared the Soviets had disabled their early warning system at the first stage of a nuclear attack. Nuclear bombers were prepared to take flight, but just in time, the recently established Solar Forecasting Center was able to get a bulletin into the hands of a commanding officer showing that a solar flare and not the USSR had knocked out the radar systems. Then, on the 24th of October 1973, there was a false alarm during a DEFCON 3. During the Arab-Israeli war, the US went to high alert as a way of warning the USSR not to intervene. However, while this was in effect, Mechanics at an Air Force base in the U.S. state of Michigan accidentally activated the whole base alarm system. Pilots and crew all ran out to their B-52 bombers ready to take off when the duty officer realized it was a false alarm and called them all back before any further damage was done. Oh, how about this? On November the 9th, 1979, there was a computer exercise tape issue. At 8.50 a.m. on the 9th of November, 1979, Duty officers at four command centers, NORAD HQ, SAC Command Post, the Pentagon National Military Command Center, and the alternate National Military Command Center in the U.S., also on their displays a pattern showing a large number of Soviet missiles in full-scale attack on the U.S. During the next six minutes, emergency preparations for retaliation were made. A number of U.S. Air Force planes were launched, including the U.S. President's National Emergency Airborne Command Post, though it went without Jimmy Carter. The president had not been informed, perhaps because he could not be found. No attempt was made to use the hotline either to ascertain the Soviet intentions or to tell the Soviets the reasons for US actions. This seems to me to have been culpable negligence. The whole purpose of the hotline was to prevent exactly this type of disaster that was threatening at that moment in time. With commendable speed, U.S. NORAD was able to contact PABE, PAWS, early warning radar, and learn that no missiles had been reported. Also, the sensors on the satellites were functioning that day and had detected no missiles. In only six minutes, the threat assessment conference was terminated. The reason for the false alarm was an exercise tape running on the computer system. A U.S. senator happened to be in NORAD HQ at the time, 
Anne is reported to have said that it was absolute panic. A question was asked in Congress. The General Accounting Office conducted an investigation and an off-site testing facility was constructed so that test tapes did not in the future have to be run on a system that could be in military use. Then there was an incident on the 26th of September 1983 when the Soviet Union detected incoming missiles. A Soviet early warning satellite showed that the United States had launched five land-based missiles at the USSR. The alert came at a time of high tension between the two countries due in part to the US military buildup in the early 1980s and President Ronald Reagan's anti-Soviet rhetoric. In addition, earlier in the month, the Soviet Union had shot down a Korean airline passenger plane that strayed into its airspace, killing almost 300 people. Stanislav Petrov, the Soviet officer on duty, had only minutes to decide whether or not the satellite data was a false alarm. Since the satellite was found to be operating properly, following procedures would have led him to report an incoming attack. Going partly on gut instinct and believing that the US was unlikely to fire only five missiles, he told his commanders that it was a false alarm before he knew that to be a false alarm. Later investigations revealed that reflection of the sun on top of clouds had fooled the satellites into thinking it was detecting missile launches. This event was actually turned into a movie called The Man Who Saved the World and Petrov was honoured by the United Nations and given the World Citizenry Award. Then on the 2nd of November 1983 to the 11th of November 1983, the USSR misinterpreted US nuclear war games. NATO conducted a massive command post-exercise stimulating a period of conflict escalation on the 2nd of November to the 11th of November 1983. This resulted in a simulation of the highest military alert status known as DEFCON 1 and a coordinated nuclear attack against the Soviet Union. Exercise was highly realistic and showed a new unique format of coded communication radio silences, and the participation of heads of government. Unbeknown to NATO, this triggered extreme alarm on the Soviet side, where analysts feared that it was a cover for an actual nuclear attack conveniently tied to coincide with their revolutionary holiday. Soviet nuclear missiles were placed on high alert and readied for launch. The climax came on the morning of the 11th of November, when the Soviets intercepted a NATO message saying that U.S. nuclear missiles had been launched against them. American Robert Gates, then Deputy Director of Intelligence at the CIA, later said, We may have been on the brink of nuclear war and not even known it. The final one I'll throw at you is from January 1995. On the 25th of January 1995, Russian early warning radars detected an unexpected missile launch near Spitzenbergen. The estimated flight time to Moscow was about five minutes. The Russian president, Boris Yeltsin, defense minister and the chief of staff were informed. The early morning and the control and command center switched to combat mode. Within five minutes, the radars determined that the missile's impact would be outside Russian borders. The missile actually was a Norwegian missile and it was launched primarily for scientific measurements. On the 16th of January, 
Norway had not notified 35 countries, including Russia, that the launch was planned. Information had apparently reached the Russian Defense Ministry, but failed to reach the on-duty personnel of the early warning system. And that, ladies and gentlemen, are just the ones we know of. There probably are more. And this, by the way, are just the ones we know of concerning Russia, the USSR, and the US. In 2021, we have more nuclear weapons states, including Israel, India, Pakistan, China, France, the UK, North Korea, and trying to get one is Iran. Also, the one thing we can all or should agree on is that MAD is certainly the best word to describe this hot mess. If anyone thinks it's going to get any better and less complex, believe me, judging by history, we need to keep hoping we keep doing these near misses. You have been listening to the New Placed Alternative History Podcast. Thank you so very much.